And Lord, I pray as we come around your corporate word now, oh God, Lord, that you would give us hearts to hear and, and, and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, Father. That Lord, I pray that this word would plow up the ground. Plow up the ground of our heart. Plow up the ground of this region, Father. And that, God, you'd be glorified through it today, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? I want to invite you to go with me to uh, John chapter 3. And I want to read uh, just three verses, John 3, 1 to 3. And, uh, you know, when you get asked to go speak somewhere, I, I travel full time and have been doing that for six years and speaking conferences and churches and events all over the place. And, you know, the temptation is, is that you come and you bring your latest hot word. But I really believe that God wants to say something very specific to every meeting, to every gathering that we have. And uh, John 3, 1 to 3 is where God wants me to speak out of tonight. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Tonight, I want to speak to you on the subject, are you a fan or a follower? Are you a fan or follower? Now, for those of you who are into AFL, you'll understand this. For those of you who are into uh, NRL, rugby league, you'll, you'll, you'll understand this. But in Victoria and Melbourne, where I'm from, no one knows the difference between a fan and a follower better than a Collingwood supporter. Okay? Do we have any Collingwood support? We're going to cast that demon out at the end of this service. All right? It's the same probably with Manly Sea Eagles, the team that everyone loves to hate. Um, and, and we'll cast that demon out too. But, you know, a fan is someone that only turns up to the arena, to the stadium, to the game when their team's winning. But a follower is another species of animal. They're another sort of individual, particularly a Collingwood supporter. They generally are missing teeth. They generally have a tattoo of a magpie somewhere on their body, which is just so wrong for many reasons. They have the number of the year that they last won the grand final. They've got opinions about their coach, Nathan Buckley, which they're running hot right now so he can stay. They know all the stats from all of their players. And not only that, they love Eddie Maguire because they know that Eddie Maguire is procuring the earth's natural resources all for the Collingwood Football Club. And so because of that, they are bonafide followers. I remember every Christmas time, my grandfather, who currently is 97 years of age, he, he would go to my mother, who was just crazy for Jesus. Collingwood is my religion. And that would get my mum's Holy Ghost hairs on the back of her hair all standing up. And, and then he would come to me and say, I'll never forgive the person who brainwashed you to barrack for the Essendon Football Club. I'm representing black and red tonight. We, we've repented of our drug sins. Um, except Bomber Thompson. So, um, we, we, so in my family, we grew up in this environment where 
we really understood what it meant to nail your colours to the mast and say, I follow this particular club. There's a fundamental difference between being a fan and a follower. I remember when I was in my mid-teens, I had a DTR conversation with a young attractive lady. And I wanted to find out from her where this relationship was heading. I'd been flirting with her for over a year. And I decided in my mid-teens, as, as immature as I was, it was time to have a DTR conversation. You say, what is a DTR conversation? DTR conversation is define the relationship conversation. Are there any couples in this room, don't put up your hand, that have had a DTR conversation? Pastor Sam and Carolina probably had one of those. Many years ago, they're still having DTR conversations where you ask the all-important question, so where is this going? I mean, are we just going to flirt for the next rest of our life or are we going to get serious? I'm just helping some couple out in this room who are flirting with each other and everyone in the Young Adult Ministry knows exactly who I'm talking about. That at the end of this service, you're going to have a DTR moment where you're going to define the relationship. Well, I want you to consider this message tonight your DTR conversation with God. Where you define the relationship. More importantly, where Jesus defines the relationship. Where He asks you and I the all-important eternity-defining question. Are you a fan or are you a follower of me? You see... A fan and a follower are fundamentally different. The problem with asking yourself that question is it's actually hard to be objective. Most of us answer that question subjectively. We often go to the comparison test when we answer that question. We say, well, compared to them, I mean, they're really mean, but I'm really nice. Compared to them, they don't give into the offering, but I gave at the, at the Young Adult Society offering tonight because I, I, I want to get more money in my bank account. And, and the pastor said, if you'll tithe, it'll happen and there's no refund, so I'm going to have a crack. And, 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 but I didn't see them give into the offering. And so we sort of, some of us, Uh, when we answer that question, we compare ourselves to other people's Christian behavior, to other people's spirituality. Others of us, when we answer that question, have the Bible knowledge test. We say, well, I read my Bible and I've memorized some scripture verses I particularly like, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And that's on the back of the toilet door. And we've got all of our prophecies just stapled all over our bedroom. And you have a purpose and a destiny. Awesome. We forget the verses that says it's through much tribulation that you must enter the kingdom of God. We don't like those verses. And so we sort of ignore them. But, but, but we say, because we've heard a few Bible stories, we have some knowledge of the Bible, therefore we must be true followers of Jesus. And yet Jesus said, many in that day shall come to me and say, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty miracles in your name? Did we not do signs and wonders in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's not how much you know about Jesus, it's whether or not you know Jesus in your heart and in your life. Others of us, we answer that question by going through the religious rules checklist. We say, well, 
I at least attend church twice a month. I mean, most other people just come at Christmas and Easter. We call them Christers. And so, but you know, I at least twice a month and, 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 and other people, you know, that they've, they've never put up their hand to volunteer and serve at church, but I'm always putting up my hand to volunteer at Servant Church. And, and, and I attend the, the conference, particularly, you know, Secret Women's Business. I'm always there. I'm the first to register. And because I attend that conference and I hear the amazing pastor, Carolina, that, that, you know, I'm closer to Jesus and I'm a true follower of who Jesus is. And whether or not we think like that consciously, many of us are ticking the boxes of the religious rules checklist to work out, are we true followers of Jesus? Others of us go through the family association test. We say, well, my parents are pastors or my parents are believers and, and I've grown up in the church and maybe you came from another church denomination, maybe you were christened as a baby, maybe you were even baptized many years ago, but you're not really necessarily close to God, but because your family is associated with the church and they're generous towards the building fund and they're really helpful around the church property on working bees and all sorts of things, that by family association, you must be a follower of Jesus. You see, it's so important that we don't confuse admiration of Jesus for devotion to Jesus. It's so important that we don't confuse knowledge of Jesus for intimacy with Jesus. Don't confuse good intentions with faith in action. Don't confuse family association with personal salvation. It is so important that we must guard in the church, guard against the church becoming a Jesus fan factory. Churches become Jesus fan factories when we separate the message of believe from the mandate to follow. This is so important. You see, the gospel does not allow for such separation. But somehow we've tolerated a distinction between the two in the Christian subculture of the church. The difference between the two can be seen by going to uh, your local fitness center. Many of you are part of a fitness center or a gym. You want to look after yourself. Some of you want to get buff, all power to you. Go knock yourself out. You, you, you drink more whey protein than you should. And, and so you're right into it. Awesome. Go for it. But when you work out at a fitness center, you bump into these, again, a rare breed of species of people called gym junkies. And you know that you've met a gym junkie because there is a sizable difference between their upper extremities and their lower extremities. Can I get a witness? And so... Uh, in the upper body, that's like, you know, muscles are popping out everywhere, veins are popping out everywhere, but then your eyes come down to their legs and it's like, missed a few leg days, did we? And now it's chicken legs. And, 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 and you're like, you know what, it's it all looks great up top, but not so good down below. Well, when we call people to believe in Jesus, but we don't equally emphasise what it means to follow Jesus... We are building top-heavy Christians who have no foundation in discipleship. You see, this is why I think event Christianity can only ever reveal half of the gospel. Now, first and foremost, I'm for events. This is a type of event. It's a gathering. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not forsake the assembling 
one of another, coming together, it's an important thing. Events are critical. We run conferences. I speak at a whole bunch of events. Events are powerful. But events are only half of the gospel. Because most Christian events bring people to a point of belief. You have music, you have lights, you have camera, you have action, you have the guest speaker, you have a response. It's the wow factor. And yet often what happens is we forget the other side of the coin, which is day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, life on life discipleship. It's only life on life discipleship that will teach you what it means to become a follower of Jesus. You see, before Jesus ministered to the multitudes, he reached out to individuals and said, come follow me. He spent intimate time with those 12 individuals. He trained them. He discipled them. For three months, it was basically come and see what I do. For the next nine months, it was basically come and be with me. He first appointed them to be with him before he sent them out in authority to do something for him. And then for the last two years of their ministry, he basically said, now let's come and do this together. And he would send them out and go with them and they would see what Jesus was doing. And something came on them that has transformed the globe for the last 2,000 years. You see, come and see the event is far easier than go and make disciples. Doing church, running church, running young adults ministry is far easier than building God's kingdom. Jesus did not say that that he came to preach the gospel of the church. He came to preach the gospel of the kingdom through the church. You can have a big church, you can have a big young adult ministry, but if you don't have a heart and a mindset and a spirit to be a part of partnering with the Holy Spirit to build the kingdom of God, you won't affect any change in the culture. There won't be any change in the community. You'll just have another building with another crowd of people, which I guess is not a bad thing, but God has called us to more than come and see the event. He's called us to pick up our cross and to go follow Him. And so unfortunately, some of us have made a decision to believe, but not a commitment to follow. It's a little bit like a married couple who make a decision to get married, but not a commitment to forsake all others till death do us part. Can you imagine with me a bride and groom on their wedding day? There's cake. She's in white. He scrubs up half decent. It's all amazing. You've got the weird uncle who everyone knows all the secrets about. You know what I'm talking about. And, and, and there's a whole lot of crazy stuff in the family going on. And you're all there together. And it's an amazing day. And there's tears and emotion. And there's all these exchange of vows. The helmets know they've made a decision to get married. But if you heard after the honeymoon that they're at the resort frolicking with all the different guests at the, uh, at the resort and at the hotel, you'd be thinking to yourself, the decision doesn't match the lack of commitment. The decision that they have made to get married isn't followed through in a lifestyle of discipleship. Anyone can get excited about their wedding day. Anyone who's married in this room knows. It's awesome. It's amazing. But fast forward five years when your spouse wakes up next to you early in the morning and your hair is everywhere, dribbles coming out of your mouth, snot is forming around the crevices of your nose, you smell like a hippo, and when you wake up, your wife looks at you and says, who is this imbecile that I have married and pledged to spend the rest of my life with? All of a sudden, 
God, we're going to work out. Was it just a decision or is there a commitment to actually follow through on the decision you've made? When the Bible talks about belief, it's talking about more than mental assent. Even demons believe and shudder. Biblical belief requires movement. What direction are you heading in? Are you heading towards self-fulfillment, self-gratification, or are you heading towards sanctification to becoming more like Jesus? Because if you are heading simply to self, to find self, to discover self, and it's all about self, which our culture says is the number one thing, you could not actually be following Jesus. You could say you believe, but you're not necessarily following. You see, Jesus said, believe in me five times. He said, come follow me 20 times. Biblical belief requires us not to sell a gospel to people that promises everything but doesn't cost you anything. And so what we often do is we have people, even young adults, that want to be close enough to Jesus to get the benefits from him, but don't want to be so close that they have to sacrifice, that it costs them something. And so we like the idea of Jesus as saviour over our sin, saviour of our problems, but we don't like the idea of Jesus as Lord. Lord over destiny, Lord over decisions. Lord over our sexuality, Lord over our relationships, Lord over our money. Right there, we're like, hang on a sec, you're starting to get fundamental. But you can't read Jesus' teaching and not get fundamental because Jesus says, unless you count the cost of discipleship, you cannot be my disciple. So how does Jesus define what it means to follow him? Well, in John chapter 3, we bump into a fan of Jesus. His name's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a heavyweight. He's a part of the Sanhedrin. He's religious. He's a Pharisee. He's highly educated. He's been schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. He's someone who has a reputation. He's a rabbi. He receives his pay, his remuneration from his role as a teacher of Israel. And from a distance, Nicodemus has been admiring Jesus' ministry. In fact, he comes to Jesus, and in this passage we read, he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do. You see, for Nicodemus, being a fan of Jesus simply meant that he was a secret admirer of him. And if you want to know the definition of what a fan is, a fan at best is an enthusiastic admirer of who Jesus is. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now notice that in the text. I'm like you. I read things in the Bible and get curious and go, why did the the author of this book, the Gospel of John being John, why did he include that Nicodemus came at night? I mean, why didn't Nicodemus come during the day? Jesus was accessible during the day. He taught in public places. He taught in the synagogue. He He ministered to the masses. He ministered to individuals. People were following. Crowds were following. Why did this religious leader come to Jesus by night? It's because Nicodemus had a reputation to protect. Nicodemus had relationships with people he did not want disapproval of from and he had remuneration from his job that if word got out that he was a fan of who Jesus was, that all of that would be risked because of his apparent connection to Jesus. 
You see, at night, Nicodemus could spend time with Jesus and it not cost him anything. But Nicodemus is about to find out that if you want to follow Jesus, it will cost you something. There will be a sacrifice involved. Because Jesus looks at him and says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, Nicodemus, I want you to move from being a fan to a follower, but it's going to cost you something. Now, what is Nicodemus's response? Well, our next encounter with Nicodemus is in John chapter 7. Jesus has never been more popular. There's a crowd of people that are following Jesus now. His ministry is at an all-time high. And the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin are starting to get insecure because the root of their ministry is pride, not humility. And they start to talk and discuss amongst themselves how we're going to silence Jesus. How are we going to stop this man from all the people going to him He's starting to take the attention of us. And who was it that was a part of that discussion? None other than Nicodemus. Nicodemus could hear the the Pharisees talking about how to silence Jesus. And his heart started to race before he opened up his mouth. Because just like you and I around the the, the boardroom table or at, at the lecture theater, when we hear people putting down Jesus or we hear people putting down Christians or we hear people putting down the church, something within us, if we're a true follower, starts to rise up. And all of a sudden, Nicodemus is already moving from being a fan to a follower. And before he could stop himself out of his mouth, in John seven fifty one comes, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? And all of a sudden, all of the Sanhedrin, their eyes pierce through Nicodemus and they ask the question, are you from Galilee too? Search and see. No prophet arises from Galilee. Can anything good come out of Galilee? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was a a mockery. That was a rebuke. That's a little bit like mainland Australians saying, can anything good come out of Tasmania? I mean, can really anything good come out of Tasmania? And, and, And I'm not, if you're from Tasmania, don't be offended. That's not what I believe. I'm just using that as an example an example to say that's what these Pharisees were saying of Jesus. You see, Nicodemus starts to allow what he believes to interfere with his work, his relationships, and his reputation. Let's fast forward to the last time we encounter Nicodemus, John chapter 19. Jesus has just been crucified. Who was it? that came to bring Jesus' body down from the cross, that came to bury the body of Jesus, none other than Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And the Bible says that he bought expensive, costly spices, about 35 kilos of expensive spices, would have cost him a lot of money. Not only would it have cost him a lot of money, but when he went to Jesus after the cross, he was letting all the world know, I have moved from being a secret admirer of who Jesus is to being a fully devoted follower. How do you know the difference between a fan and a follower? A follower of Jesus follows Jesus to the point of cost to themselves. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And all throughout the Bible, 
we bump into these heroes of the faith who had to pay a price to follow God. I mean, Moses had to stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go before he followed God. Daniel went through the lion's den to follow God. Noah had to build an ark for a hundred years under the ridicule and mockery of people all around him to follow God. Esther had to risk her life to go before the king to follow God. Paul had to pass through the Philippian prison to follow Jesus. Every hero of the Bible had to pay a price to follow Jesus. And my concern is that often in our politically correct culture called Australia, which I love, the great Southland of the Holy Spirit, we're building a culture that's creeping into the church which says you can follow Jesus and it not cost you anything. You can attend and you can even give your tithe, which for some people is not a cost anymore. That's why in the new covenant, it's even more than the tithe. It's about your whole life. You present your body as a living sacrifice where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And we just got to check our spirit. We've got to check our heart. We've got to check our life. Are we simply fans of Jesus? Or are we following Him? You see, fans come to Jesus for minor changes. Follower come to Jesus for an upside down transformation in their hearts. Fans come to Jesus for a tune-up. Followers come to Jesus and say, God, change the entire engine of my heart. Fans come to Jesus and says, oh, there's a few little blemishes upon my face. Just give me a little bit of makeup. Followers come to Jesus and say, I need an extreme makeover. I mean, do spiritual surgery. Do whatever you got to do to me. I need the whole thing worked on because the whole thing is broken. And I need Jesus to, to change me and sanctify me. Fans come to Jesus. Jesus for a shot of inspiration. Followers come to Jesus and say, will you please interfere with my life? Interfere with my plans? Interfere with my relationships? You see, being a Christ follower means there is no forgiveness without repentance. There's no salvation without surrender. There is no life without death. And there is no such thing in the Bible as believing without committing. I grew up in a Christian home. My mum got saved when I was three months old out of an angelic encounter, brought me along to church. Two years later, they were in Bible college. Two years after that, they planted their first church with five people. True story. I grew up in a home that was full on for God, that loved Jesus, that made sacrifices, but it wasn't good enough for me to simply follow by family association what the sacrifice my parents had done. You see, I had a call upon my life from a young age, but I ran away from it. I'm the most reluctant prophet there is. I'm Jonah going to Joppa on a boat. And God sent a storm. And not only did he send a storm, but he also sent a big whale of circumstance. And I found myself in the belly of that whale in the Victoria Police Force, where I was forced with a decision to make. Do I continue to live life my way and be a fan of Jesus, be in the worship team even, even serve at church, but know in my heart there are greater sacrifices. There are greater costs. 
there is a greater call upon my life. And unless I consecrate myself and set myself apart for that call, I will not walk in the fullness of the purpose and the anointing and the plan that God has upon my life. Every single one of you tonight are called to different spheres, different places, different environments. But if you are operating in that place, in that sphere of influence and not making any sacrifices at all for Jesus, you need to question whether or not you're a fan or a follower. I remember walking up to the boss's office, handing in my resignation, and there was all political correctness, and was like, oh, you know, I was explaining I was a believer and why I was doing what I was doing. It was all golf clap, you know, walked downstairs to the watch house, and 20 minutes later, literally the entire station mocking me, ridiculing me, not joking, having a full-on crack at me, and we worked out right there, am I going to see this thing through Or am I going to buckle back and just be content to be a fan? But 20 years later, let me tell you that it's been the greatest adventure. It's been the greatest honor. It's been the greatest blessing. God has taken my life all over the world, not because I'm any good, but simply because I made a decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow Jesus, and that is what God is coming to us tonight and asking us. If you've settled for being a fan of Jesus, I want to call you, I want to invite you, and in fact, not just me, Jesus wants to invite you. Cast your nets aside, leave your nets behind, and come and follow me. You see, before Jesus called any of the disciples, he asked them to leave their nets behind. Every single one of us in our lives have nets. Matthew was a tax collector. He had nets, nets of reputation, nets of riches he had to leave behind. Judas was greedy, had all sorts of dysfunction and issues, but he wasn't prepared to leave that behind. Peter literally was a fisherman. James and John literally were fishermen. Let me tell you something. Every single one of us have safety nets in our lives. That Jesus comes to all of us. Doesn't matter who you are, pastor, Apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, CEO, principal of a school, student, whoever you are. And he says, leave your nets behind. If you want to come and follow me, leave your nets behind. And many of us clutch hold and hold on tightly onto those nets. And as long as you're holding tightly to your nets, you can't release and receive what God wants to bring into your life. And all across this room tonight, I believe the Spirit of God wants to break out in your heart, in your world, in your sphere of influence, in your young adult ministry, but it's not going to come just because, you know, the worship leaders are anointed and the songs are amazing. It's going to come because the people of God, the, the true believers, rise up and say, I am not content to just be a fan. I want to follow Him. And I want to invite you to stand to your feet tonight. I want the band to come. You see, I believe that every fresh revelation from heaven demands a fresh consecration from us. And when God speaks to you and God puts something on your heart, puts something on your life, and He says to you, what are the nets that you're holding on to? For some of you, that net could be a relationship that you've prioritized and exalted over your relationship with God. And maybe it's not a case of just letting the whole thing go because you maybe you've made a covenant, but it's a case of saying, God, I put it on the altar again tonight. Others of us have got our five-year plan. It's so neat. It's so tidy. It's so pretty. 
And Jesus comes to you and says, that's great, that's good. I could be in that, but actually there's something else I've got for you. I want you to leave your net tonight at, that, 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 at the altar. Others of you, it could be your image, it could be your reputation, it could be your dream or your goal for your life. And it's great and good and God may have given that to you, but He may not have given it to you too. I spent years trying to convince myself that the goals for my life was what God wanted for me when clearly it wasn't. And deep in our hearts, many of us already know what we need is the courage to put down the nets, to pick up our cross and to follow Him. And tonight in this place, there is enough anointing in this room. There is enough word in this message. There's enough faith in this room for you to step out of fandom into followership. But it begins with not just a decision, but a commitment. And I want to invite you as we sing and as we worship, I want to invite you to get out from where you are, to come and stand all over the front here. It doesn't matter to me if it's one or all of us. The issue is, is that we respond. And as we come, we're going to pray together. And I'm going to invite you to lift your hands, to worship, to sing, to press into God, to allow the Spirit of God to touch your heart, to speak into your life. Because God is not going to build His kingdom with fans. He builds His kingdom with disciples, with followers. When He wants something done in the earth, He doesn't go look for a fan. He looks for a disciple. Someone who is a student, humble, hungry, honourable heart for the Master. So come on as we sing, why don't you come? We're going to worship together.